Vax Matters is here to provide clarity when it comes to vaccines. We uncover the facts and expose the myths about vaccines in every episode. I'm Diane Deaton. And I'm Dion Guillory. Let's get this episode started. Thanks for tuning in to Vax Matters, where we have a special episode today that parents of little ones will definitely want to hear. I'm your host, Diane Deaton, and helping me guide the discussion today is the one and the only Dion Guillory. I, I like that, that uh, one yes. and only. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Diane. It is great to be here. Always great to be with you. And once again, we've got a fantastic episode today. We're covering measles, mumps, and rubella from beginning to end joined by Dr. Sandra Gerges. Dr. Gerges specializes in pediatric infectious diseases at Our Lady of the Lake Children's Health Infections Disease Center here in Baton Rouge. Hello to you, Dr. Gerges. Welcome to Vax Matters. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. It is really our pleasure. And as I mentioned earlier, parents in particular will be interested in today's episode because we're discussing the MMR vaccine, which may sound familiar because we usually receive it as kids to help protect us against measles, mumps, and rubella. So doctor, let's start with the measles. Can you tell us about this viral infection, its symptoms, and where it originated? So the measles, like you said, is a virus and it predominantly causes infection in the lungs. Um, it can also spread to other parts of the body, including the brain, and that's kind of the most concerning for us on our end as, as doctors and also as parents. Uh, the most typical symptoms that we see in, in kids when they get the infection is actually a high fever, 104 Fahrenheit, a red bumpy rash that starts on the head and spreads downwards, cough, runny nose, and red eyes. The, the concerning symptoms that I was mentioning was when it goes to the brain, um, and, and that actually can cause death, but most typically causes a lot of confusion, headaches, uh, vomiting even, things like that. Now, now from there, let's talk a little bit uh, about the mumps. What can you tell us about that? Sure. So the mumps is also a virus, um, and that one causes uh, the, the, the glands in the cheeks to actually swell up. Um, those those glands are the ones that produce saliva in our bodies and helps keep the, the tongue and the mouth all moist. And so when, when kids have that, they tend to not feel very well. It also causes fever, headache, weakness, some mus muscle aches as well. And when you talk about rubella, the R of the MMR, maybe not as well known because a much smaller segment, uh, this applies to much smaller segment. You're right. So um, we've actually in the U.S. eliminated rubella a few years ago. And so we don't hear as much about rubella as we do about the other two viruses. And the other thing important about rubella is that it causes much more mild symptoms than measles in kids. Um, so same thing, fever and rash and just making them feel kind of icky and gross. But um, where we worry the most about rubella is actually in pregnant women mm -hmm. because they can pass that on to their unborn baby and it can cause a lot of birth defects. Maybe more people are familiar with this name, German measles. Exactly. You're right. Yes. So let's talk about the measles itself. Why are measles so contagious? That's a great question. 
Um, so it's actually one of the most contagious of the infections that we that we know about really? or talk about. Yes, still today, still today, even oh, with wow. COVID. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> um, so they say that you know the the virus particles they're usually transmitted through your mouth through uh, respiratory droplets is what we call it, and they can stay in a room up to two hours after someone leaves that space. And up to so two hours after mm-hmm. the person's been there, so exactly. you could actually Yikes. not know that someone was in that room. Uh-huh. And you can contract it. Exactly. And what's more confusing about measles is that you can be contagious in the four to five days before you actually develop the fever and the rash. And so you could be going around spreading it without actually knowing that you're even infected. That is very scary. Very scary. My, my mind is just blown right now <laughs> yeah, from we're hearing this. Trying to wrap our brain around this because you you have no clue. Now you we were talking prior to beginning our podcast today about New York just a few years ago. There was a pretty serious outbreak of measles and you were there. Yes, I was actually uh, doing my training over there in New York in 2019 when we had all over the U.S., we had a big spike in cases. So since the vaccine came out in the 1970s, we've had uh, about less than 100 cases per year in the U.S. And unfortunately, in 2019, that we saw over 1,200 cases that year. Why? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, for, we're not really sure why in that year specifically it happened, but the the cases that have been investigated were all kind of related to uh, people who were from the U.S. who were unvaccinated and traveled abroad to some countries where um, they don't they don't vaccinate as much or communities that don't vaccinate as much, and so they came back here and. You know, it could be in that time period when they didn't know that they were contagious and just kind of spread it outwards to their community members. And especially in New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When people are in close quarters, mm-hmm. you know, and you have such a, such a huge population, such a small area. So it, things like that can spread really quickly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so you, you did mention the, the vaccine mm-hmm. um, be developed in the 70s. Tell, tell us more about um, the MMR vaccine um, and h- how it was created and, and all that jazz and how, you know, it was able to see what we're seeing today out- outside of that that spike that um, happened a few years ago. Yeah, sure. So, um, so basically the first measles vaccine actually was created in the 1960s, but by that time it was by itself. It wasn't grouped up with the mumps and rubella that we have it. So they were with. standalone then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. All three of them kind of in the 1960s, I think 63 was the measles, 67 was the mumps, and then 1969 was rubella. So just very close to each other. Um, but it actually came from a measles virus that was taken from uh, students who were ill with that infection. And so they they purify the virus, they isolate it, and basically just um, grow like the antigens basically so that your body, when it sees it, it can form that immune antibody response. And so if you're ever exposed to it again, your body already has seen what the virus looks like and can go out and, and attack it. Um, and so that first vaccine came out I, I, in the 1963. They kind of worked on it, developed it, tweaked it a little bit. And so 1979, I believe, uh, sorry, 69, the the one that we um, now have in the combination vaccine came to be. Um, Is it better? 
Is it more convenient? Why? That's interesting why they were all put together as a three. Right. Yeah. So we had had a lot of success with grouping vaccines together for kids um, with the the whooping cough, pertussis, tetanus vaccine in the past. And so they thought that, you know, given these three diseases that we vaccinate kids for when they're young, it it's actually much more convenient for kids to have them grouped together as well. Um, and so that they're not getting, you know, three jabs. It's just one jab. A little for more them. palatable for the youngsters, <laughs> too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Less crying. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Less terror. Exactly. Yeah. And they found that, you know, with one vaccine dose, um, it's about 93% effective against measles. But then with two, it's about 97% effective. And so going forward, they kind of just recommended that everyone gets two. One, one of the things about, and our main purpose for doing this and having these conversations is to let people know the the truth and the and the facts behind all of this, and also for them to have these conversations with their physicians, um, so they can make the perf- the decisions that are right for them and their family and their health. But one of the things that came out of this is the myth about that this vaccine causes autism. Can you can you expand on that and how that started and and how that just was a wildfire and there's so much fear yeah there's so much fear yes you're absolutely right i think um the medical community has tried has been trying to recover from that for a while so it actually started with um, a doctor in the uk dr wakefield you might have heard of him he published uh, a paper in the lancet which is a well-known british journal um back in 1998 where he took 12 kids who had developmental delay and kind of went back and tried to figure out what they were all exposed to if they were exposed to anything that was common. And one of the things that he discovered was all having had received the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. And so even though he couldn't prove that getting the vaccine resulted in their developmental delays, um, he kind of said that it was his opinion that that was the most likely cause of them developing those disorders. And so he published that. And, you know, I think the media took it up, a whole bunch of people took it up and so kind of spread that message. And since that time, he's actually his his um, medical license has been revoked. And so he can't Truly. really wow. practice medicine. Um, and, you know, they took that paper out of print and, and, and so on, because it's just been it's been disproven that that actually I mean, first of all, it wasn't really scientifically proven, but right. it's also there's nothing to suggest that, that there is a link between this vaccine and autism or actually any vaccine and autism. Right. His, the damage his, had been done. Right. His yeah. theory there is kind of like, OK, doctor, you and I, we both have a left hand. That doesn't make us both left handed. Exactly. You know, it doesn't Good make point. any sense. Yeah. So it, it it's unfortunate that he, you know, his career is pretty much ruined for that. But, you know, you just can't not do the full research to come and the to a damage conclusion. it's done and, yeah, and the damage that this yeah. has done. Right. Exactly. When you were talking about uh, the vaccine, you know, MMR, you know, one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about scheduling and when they should be given. Can you kind of refresh our listeners' memories now? Dr. Sure. Yeah. So uh, typically we give the MMR vaccine at 12 months and then again between the ages of four to six years. Um, kids who are going to be traveling to one of those countries that has a high transmission risk of measles, mumps, or rubella should actually start receiving it at six months. And so that's just to protect them while they're abroad and potentially exposed to, to other people who might have it. What about adults? Do you is this part of the adult shot routine? 
So we don't typically give it to adults, but if they don't have immunity to it, then they can get one or two doses of it depending on, you know, what else they have or what what, what their antibody levels show. Um, and we don't really typically even boost unless um, there's there's an outbreak or there's a reason to to, to suspect that that particular patient would be more exposed to it. Us in healthcare, we always get our antibodies checked because we're just exposed to so many different diseases through the patients we see. And so um, sometimes, you know, as adults, we do get that vaccine. I know that you were saying that the standalone MMR, the first one for the measles, around the, the vaccine, 1963. For those of us who were, I think I'm the only one in the room right now, <laughs> that a little bit older than, than this. I had measles when I was a child. I had mumps when I was a child. A little uncomfortable, like a lot uncomfortable. But you, after you have that in your system, is that my immunity? Because I had it and I survived it? Yes, that's exactly right. So anyone above, um, or sorry, who was born, I, I believe the cutoff was 1960, mm -hmm. you actually do not need to get the vaccine because you're already assumed to have the And antibodies. I need no booster or anybody of, the, of an old, older generation no. would need no. Don't no, be, look, look, he's over here. He's turned his head. Yeah, he's just got that giggle. Don't, don't go there, Mr. Man. Just don't go there. I'm, but, I'm laughing in support of you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm supporting you. But, in, but that's good information to know. No, because a lot of adults, you know, there are still a regimen of vaccines that we need yeah, as true. adults, and you just kind of need to know if that's one of the, the ones as well. Right, right. Yeah, but I mean, the nice thing about it, when we give it to kids, they they have lifelong immunity, and so they don't right. need to worry about any of these things again. And, and I think that's especially important for, I guess, for females who might become pregnant later mm. on and avoiding that risk of rubella um, for, their, for their infants who can have, you know, a series of different defects, including the heart the eyes, things like that, that could be affected by by rubella. Our, our, when you were talking, Dan was talking a moment ago about uh, the the reluctance, you know, about still the autism and all that. Do you still have difficult conversations with parents when it comes to vaccines, doctor? Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I think that all became much more you know, worse actually through COVID. I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, mistrust of, of vaccines because of the COVID vaccine and people thinking that it just it happened too quickly. Um, and so I think that fear has kind of spread to other vaccines. And, and you know, I think we we as uh, physicians and, and healthcare providers, we always try to remember to ask them their particular questions, their particular fears, because not everyone is just vaccine hesitant all across. It might be that they heard certain things and, and we just want to educate and make sure that um, things aren't being blown out of proportion right. or they're holding on to, to things that they've seen in social media that might not necessarily be true. Or their uncle's brother or sister <laughs> said something. You know, I mean, it just gets, it, after a while, it's just kind of ridiculous, but still it's legitimate concern right. for the parent or the person asking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I encourage all, all patients. I mean, you can do your own Google searches, but that's, you yeah. know, it's a, there's a whole lot of stuff up there and, you know, people can just put whatever they want. So use reliable resources such as the CDC website and then speak to your doctors because I'm sure that they'll have these conversations with you and, and can refer you to other resources that you can go to and, and find out more for yourself. Yeah, definitely. That's always the key there, asking the questions to the right people uh, so you can get those uh, questions answered. Uh, doc doctor, one thing we always hear and we know about allergies um, and it, 
in my mind, and doctor, you're the expert here, but in my mind, allergies of different kinds have become more prevalent, uh, so to say. And when when it comes to uh, the MMR vaccine, there is concern about people who may have an egg allergy um, and that they shouldn't get it. Uh, shine some light on that and explain um, what that means and if those people who do have an egg allergy, if they should get the vaccine. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so that's definitely a question we get a lot. Um, so the measles vaccine is made in chick embryos. And so people think that this means that if they have egg allergies, that they would react negatively to the uh, to the vaccine. But that's actually not true. Um, there's several studies that have shown that even kids with severe egg allergies, you know, anaphylaxis, which is, you know, the swelling and the blood pressure changes, they can get the MMR without any um, any issue, really. What about boosters one more time? Did you say that people do need or do not need to get boosters? Typically, typically they don't need boosters. Okay. Usually those two doses, if they get them, you know, when they're young, um, they, they're they 98% effective and it lasts throughout their lifetime. There's a few people who, you know, maybe if they go through um, cancer chemotherapy or things like that that suppresses their immune system, they they might need boosters. Some for instances reasons. then mm-hmm. that booster yes, is necessary. Exactly. There, there was also... Um, um, the one that covers uh, chickenpox, MMRV. Is that right? Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. So yeah. now there is there is a vaccine that combines the four, so MMR mm-hmm. plus varicella, uh, which is the chickenpox. And so that one is also recommended. You can use it. It's the same dosing schedule. So kids, again, get it at oh, one good. year yeah. and then four to six, um, four to six years after that. Um, and so you can use that in place of the MMR. Uh, so, Doctor, I want to go back to the um, measles outbreak back in 2019. You were in New York uh, when that happened, and there were several other states in the U.S. that uh, saw this. Louisiana, fortunately, was not one of those. Uh, so we're on the right track there with that. But was that only here in the United States, or was there an outbreak worldwide? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if it was a global outbreak versus just being here in the U.S. Uh, the thing to remember about measles vaccination is that, you know, here it's been sort of mandatory and we've had a vaccine out um, since the 1970s. But across the world, uh, not every country has has MMR vaccine available or that they use it regularly as part of their vaccination schedule. And so, um you know, just in terms of the the WHO, they put out information that basically says that there's 140,000 cases per year, you know, that are occurring worldwide. Um, whereas, you know, in the in the U.S., I'm not sure if we we spoke about this earlier, but it's close to 100 cases mm-hmm. per year. And so, you know, there is that big discrepancy. I think just because it's not part of every country's um, vaccine uh, regimen. Yeah. yeah. So, talking a lot about measles. What about mumps? I remember mumps, very, yeah, very uncomfortable, pretty much eradicated, or you still see cases, or? We still see some cases. It doesn't get as much, you know, um, media attention or, or press as, as much as measles just because of how contagious measles is and okay. how it can cause such severe outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Um, mumps tends to be kind of in that one patient or one person. Oh, really? So it's not it. contagious then? It, it's still contagious, just okay. not not at that uh, level. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. Exactly. Um, and it just tends to cause much milder symptoms than, than measles can. Yeah. Well, I don't know. As a kid, I kind of remember mumps more than the measles. But So talk just a little bit about adults. If adults, this is pretty serious if an adult would get measles or mumps. 
I, especially males get mumps. Is yes, that right? You're right. Yes. Um, males can def well, anybody can get mumps, mm -hmm. but um, the, the one concern in, in males with mumps is that it can actually cause um, orchitis, which is a, our fancy medical word for swelling of the testicular area. Mm -hmm. And so that can be very painful. Um, you know, you need it, you know, you, it's, it's a virus, so we can't really treat it with antibiotics. And so, you know, same thing with the swelling of the parotid glands or the, the glands in the cheeks, you just have to kind of give it time to go away, but it's definitely scary. <laughs> well, it is. And as a child, it was scary because I remember looking like a little chipmunk and my mom was saying, well, honey, I think you're going to get it on both sides. Well, I did and I got it on one side, but one side was bad enough. I remember that. Holy cow. Yeah. We want to try to get those memories out. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't need any more of that. But still, it's important for people to know. Yeah, exactly. And both still around. Still around. Both are still around. Yeah. And I think I think you brought that up. It's a great point because I think you know a lot of the the younger generation now because they've not seen this or, or lived through these infections, they have no idea that they even exist or how severe they can be. Right. Um, I had never seen measles until you know I was in in 2019 in New York and we had our outbreak really? over there. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, I had I had teenage patients with it. I had young babies with it, a whole spectrum. But I had never seen it up until that point during my whole medical training. And and so, um, unfortunately, seeing those diseases that we think are, are gone or eliminated for the most part, it's uh, it's not really. It's eye opening, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it really. Because I, I remember with the measles, I must have been cute little kid, about four or five, I think. And the deal, I don't know if this was right or not, but I remember with the measles that when I watched TV, I had to wear sunglasses because oh. there was because there was something about, you know, you couldn't watch TV with measles because it would hurt your eyes. And I thought I was the coolest kid, <laughs> you know, because I'm watching, I'm, I'm kicked, I've got a picture, I think my mom is a picture of me kicked back in a chair with my, you know, my little legs crossed and my little sunglasses on, just smiling. I didn't feel real bad. I don't remember feeling bad, but it was important even then to look cute right. when you're sick, you know, so <laughs> So, but it's a, but it's some things like you said you don't you don't realize because you think that that was a childhood disease and you're not going to see it anymore. But there you go, 2019, New York City, measles everywhere. Exactly. Wow. Yes, but, Diane, you're still the coolest kid. <laughs> Thank you, the cool kids club. I like. Yes. I appreciate that, Dion. Wow, <laughs> Doctor, I want to kind of pick your brain a little more about that time in 2019. How how was it? being there with that like you like you mentioned you you hadn't seen this before in in person you you studied it but you hadn't actually seen it in person what was it like being there and then seeing the the cases increase at that time and being in the midst of all that right um that's a good question so i mean uh so it, it was definitely an interesting time to be able to kind of put put it into, you know, physical form to see what it actually looked like and to see, you know, that it's not just a red bumpy rash that's kind of pesky and the high fevers that make any kid cranky, but um, some of our teenage patients actually had a lot of breathing difficulties with it. And so, um, you know, that was eye-opening because I think people often just brush it off as just one of these childhood yes, infections. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so what, I guess, no you big know, deal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, to be in an ICU setting and have to have um, a ventilator or a machine that helps you breathe um, because of this measles, which, you, you know, we could have given you a vaccine for as a child. It's, it's um, it, you know, I think um, 
it's definitely eye-opening. And very unsettling, too, to mm-hmm. think this could have been prevented. Right. What, what, what is the correlation? Have you seen this or thought between COVID-19, the vaccine for that, mm-hmm. and for the MMR? Any Anything that... You know, juxtaposition of those two? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're seeing the same thing, you know, with the last Omicron wave that we had uh, just, you know, a few months ago. We we saw that spike mostly in children who were either too young to be vaccinated, so the five years and under group, or kids who were a little bit older, but just for whatever reasons, their parents didn't want to get them vaccinated. And so... Um, you know, it hasn't been very severe in adults, the last Omicron wave, but it's still very much with us here. And we're still, unfortunately, seeing kids in the hospital being admitted for for COVID. Um, and so, yes, it's that vaccine hesitancy. And that's what we're seeing. We're going to probably continue to see it. But the good news is, is that we have the information. We have experts like you to tell us what it is, what to expect, how it impacts, as you said, childhood, quote unquote, diseases for the teenagers, for the adults, that's serious stuff that doesn't have to happen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just encourage people to, to come and ask us those questions. We are here for you. We want to answer those questions. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think any of us have any hidden agendas. It's just to make you safe and protect everyone in the community. Yeah, and, that, and that's the, the point. At the, at the end of the day, what we all want, and which is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is to get people the information so they could use it the best they can to protect themselves, their family, their neighbors, their loved ones. You know, that's that's the key. And to have the the conversation with their doctor. Yeah. I like a conversation. That's that's me. (laughs) We we like conversating too. Well, we've been talking about a lot of things today. Anything that we have not touched on or talked about, Doctor, that you think that before we close today that we we should let our listeners know about? Um, I think we, we covered most of the, the material that I wanted to kind of think about and talk through. Um, just, yeah, just encourage people to to reach out to their doctors or healthcare providers to ask questions, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever those questions or concerns are. Um, and, you know, if you are doing your own Googling, I think the CDC is a great resource. Yes. It even has... There are good places to go, not right. Dr. Google. You know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and, and one really encouraging thing, actually, that I found on the CDC website was that Louisiana has a very good vaccination rate of kids, 96%. So Excellent. that's awesome All right, to see Louisiana. that. Yeah. <laughs> we like go. to be in that number, yes. don't we? Yes, indeed. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's about it for today. Then thank you so much, Doctor, for joining us and telling us all about everything we need to know about the MMR vaccine, what parents need to know, what youngsters, you know, it's it's all good and it's an all good situation. So we hope you've benefited as much as we have from our conversation. We will be back with a new episode soon. Until then, please be careful and be well. <laughs>